five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin TMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. The breaking news about M&Ms. And here we go. In a factory, people have been trying to put labels on me. Nutrition labels, expiration dates, telling me I was biologically chocolate on the inside. But deep down, I knew I wasn't who they said I was. I was. I am. A Skittle. Part of moving forward is accepting responsibility for your past. The people at Mars Inc., they weren't bad people. They were just ignorant. They thought they knew what candy I was just because they knew my exact chemical composition. But we are not our biology. We're holding ourselves accountable for the way in which accurate product descriptions caused hurt and pain to the trans candy community. I, I just woke up one day and realized I am not defined by the chocolate center I was made with. I am, and always was, a delicious grape Skittle. And I'm proud of it. So, Mars has committed to never again assigning an identity to the candy we produce. Instead, we'll let each candy decide for himself, or herself, or Skittle self, who they really are. And whatever the candy says, we will falsify nutrition information to make it a reality. Now, reality can truly be whatever we want. <laughs> I'm just free. Anyway... Obviously, that's not from M&M's. That's from the Babylon Bee. Now, lest you think that it is too silly for words, uh, that they're going to falsify whatever's in the candy because the candy wants to be called a Skittle. Uh, the advertising community is coming out against M&M's because they decided that they would re brand their brand to be more inclusive and part of the way they did it if you look down here on the babylon b uh picture this particular m&ms has like go-go boots and this one has high heels and in the new version of the wardrobe of the m&ms in order to be more inclusive they made everybody's shoes basically like this boring shoes and they thought that somehow fixed the world and, and, and i mean l listen to their goal here their goal is creating a world where everyone feels they belong now does that mean you can't wear high heels i don't know that scene doesn't seem right to me but this is the problem with purpose you know it's you know whatever purpose you pick that sounds so lofty it could sound a little creepy. Uh, and how you execute? Maybe, I don't know. Use the power of fun to include everyone. Okay? And they want uh, a sense of belonging for 10 million people around the world by 2025. Well, that's not very many people in comparison to the world. But uh, And maybe it's better than fill the world with sugar so we can profit our shareholders. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but. Uh, anyway, they're getting a big pushback on this because it's just is it's too much. It's too much. Uh, Rolling Stone called it tantamount to slut shaming. I don't even know what slut shaming is, but uh, they ripped go-go boots out of the <laughs> out of the deal. Somehow that's supposed to be authentic for uh, Gen Z. Anyway, on another note, interesting note. Uh, Davich had an article today about how if you're gonna do if you're gonna do uh, diversity in your ads, 
do it well. And don't color the palm black, which, you know, and here's the ad she was talking about where they they wanted this particular movie ad to look like it's being held by, I would guess, the finish of the nails might be a black woman. <clears throat> but when you color it all in like this, if you've ever had a black friend and shook hands, you know, it's not dark. You know, it's like reality. But, you know, it's probably a fiver doing the ad. And so, anyway, that ad got called out. It's not the first time. Over here's one, same basic idea, where they basically Photoshop. It, in fact, it turned out, apparently, it was like, it was like four white hands, and uh, they just colored them in to work with their with their uh, makeup colors. So it is a thing. I didn't know it was a thing, but you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go after a persona or after a market, you might want to know something about it. Maybe have somebody come in and look at what you're doing and say, hey, this doesn't make any sense just to take the go-go boots off. So that brings us over here to Stephen Yu, who's going to talk about personas. Uh, and um, I really respect Stephen. He's actually got real training and a PhD and stuff like that. Um, and uh, and I pretty much talk about anything he writes but uh this is a tricky one personas basic holistic personas and what he what he says is is that mounds of data do not readily reveal what individuals are all about okay and building personalization is about the customers not the brand channel or product i'm not sure it's a hard thing to say. I mean, I argued yesterday that brand, that product, that trying to guess who's going to want your product is a tricky thing. You know, it's something you should do, but the more important thing is to test it. You know, I had a long conversation with a B2B marketer yesterday, and we were talking about the decision maker versus like the office manager and how Sometimes you go at the decision maker because that's who's that's who you've got on the list. They bought the piece of machinery. They made the ultimate decision. But the day-to-day -day supplies are going to be purchased by the office manager. And how the office manager inevitably in lots of in lots of industries, you know, it, you, you, the the dental hygienist knows that she does most of the work cleaning and getting everything going and getting everything set up, and then the dentist comes in and dot 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 off they go. And that they make a lot more money, or the or the med tech for, and the doctor, and you hear these conversations a lot at at you know at family parties or something, you know where where the where the where the med tech is the is complaining that they do more work and don't get paid as much. Now of course they don't also have half a million dollars in medical school debt and other things that the doctor might have gotten uh, through that. Um, and often, you know, the doctor had to be a super genius to get through school with a 4.0 and probably doesn't have bedside manner and maybe the med tech does. So, uh, it's tricky 
to guess who's going to buy the product. And sometimes it's quite different than what you think. And so we had this long conversation about that and about how their product actually was something that was attractive to the med tech. And, and maybe we could make the med tech kind of with a, in a tongue-in-cheek way the hero of the decision-making, say, the doctor didn't know this, but now they do. I brought this to the doctor's attention, and I'm a hero with the doctor because we saved the, the patient or whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, Stephen rightly points out that modeling can summarize uh, a lot of data and boil it down to something that's, that's actually understandable. But where he and I part company is, um, is the likelihood that the subject resembles the target is a tough thing for the computer to handle. And what I mean by that, and he actually does, he says, you know, maybe you think about what, what variables might relate to your product, high-income families for luxury products. Well, that's sort of, you know, and, and he's saying maybe that's, you can do that off the top of your head, but the modeling might be able to do it even better. Well, sometimes it can, sometimes it can't. Um, the hard part is, if you think about luxury products, that's a great, great example. Um, I had some, uh, a friend of mine bought a Mercedes, and in the pocket of the car was Giorgio, Arma Giorgio Armani sunglasses, and he didn't want them, and I really liked them. And I left them in a rent car in New Jersey, which, of course, means they... Never, they never saw them. They were never found. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> now I have some Ray-Bans that I really like, Polaroid. So I am kind of into, you know, better than average sunglasses, I suppose. <clears throat> I had some Oakleys before that because I did some work with Oakley. Uh, anyway, what makes the difference? How do you pick who is the Oakley uh, customer persona and who is the Giorgio Armani customer's? Uh, persona. It's not easy at all. And if you look through your millions of customers, I've done, you know, um, several of our clients had 15 million or so customers that had bought in the last five or so years. So it's, you know, it's a pretty good sea of humanity, 15 million. And out of that, you say, well, we got half a million catalogs. Who are we going to mail to? How do you make that decision? Well, one way is to start thinking, well, who is our very best, best customer? That's one way to do it. The hard part about that is we don't always know why they're the very, very best customer. We don't. You know, with Cabela's, we found weird stuff like if they had a woman's name and they lived in Manhattan they and they bought apparel, they probably would never buy again. It was probably a, a costume party they were going to. <laughs> Whereas if they were a man's name in Manhattan and they bought something, they were probably likely to become one of our best customers ever, right? We just happen to, we happen to stumble across this stuff. And part of it is that our modeling system, unlike most, is not just pure math, but actually shows you what's going on, shows you which variables are at the top of the heap and which are at the bottom. <clears throat> so it allows a little more, a lot of, a little more human involvement in the modeling process, which I, I, highly advocate for, and we've gone head-to-head -head with some dozen top modeling companies around the world and always won by a lot, including big universities and others. Um, and so, uh, but if you if you get my book, I'm not, this is not a commercial for the book, but it's just something to say. Spinning Straw into Gold, it's, very, very, it's not a very big book, but it's about how to turn data into money with many, many case studies and 
one of the one of the sections is about how you need to turn data into variables that are that are categorical that 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 show you different things about who bought so out of that out of that 10 or 15 million customers and we mailed a half a million of them we know who bought and who didn't and we knew what they bought we knew they bought hunting or they bought fishing or whatever it was and so we could start to, to form some kind of picture of that uh, with musicians friend we worked really really hard trying to figure out how to sell guitars to the guitar players and drummer drums to the drum players but it doesn't it doesn't work that way you know uh, Merritt's up in, uh, I think it's Merritt's, up in uh, Minneapolis, called me up one time and they said, uh, Brent Bissell, and, and said, um, could you figure out what what prizes, they, they had a catalog of prizes for like sales recognition, and what which prize will get the most, uh, will get the most redemptions? That would help us a lot. I said, well, let, let's let's just let's just make up a case study. You know, I, I noticed that you have golf clubs in the in the prizes. So would knowing that someone is a is an avid golfer would that lead you to think that they were more or less likely to pick the golf clubs? You know, they said, well, it seems like if they're interested in golf, that would be something they would pick. I said, no, probably the opposite. The more golf interest they have, the higher the golf interest level, the more likely they are to have three sets of clubs already sitting in the garage, and they are not interested in your little freebie clubs, unless it was for their for their spouse or something like that. I said, they're not going to get, you know, they might more, be more likely to get a tennis racket because they've never played tennis, and they thought, well, it would be nice to have a tennis racket. It doesn't, the linearity is not there most of the time in customer personas. Now, sometimes, you know, when we were coming out with, and I've told this story before, we, uh, Baseball Express, we were coming out with a catalog for, uh, for, for like high school girls fast pitch. There was no catalog like that on earth. So we thought that would be a hit. So the first thing we tried to do was create a variable for female products within the existing Baseball Express mix, there were some products. There were uh, there was a there was a baseball batting helmet with a with a a hole in the back specifically for ponytails. Specifically, there was a, a bat and a, and a glove or a couple of them that were pink and tailored to you know to the girls. So we, so we, so we basically created that product dimension, male, female, and and looked for people that bought more than one female product, thinking that they would be at least be interested in the in the in the in the girls' uh, fast pitch, and it worked pretty well. It actually did. It worked really well. It, the trouble was there wasn't very many. And so then what we decided was it was better to try to figure out who wasn't. A girl <laughs> who was buying the stuff that a 35-year-old fireman would buy, <laughs> and just avoid them and mail everybody else the catalog because it wasn't going to hurt anybody too much. And that's the way it usually works. Uh, the "I love you" variable, the 
the the the key indicator on why someone buys a Lamborghini instead of a S-Class Mercedes instead of a Humvee or something, you know, are all expensive. Why does somebody buy one versus another? Very, very difficult. But one thing we could say to all of those car companies, Chevy buyer, your average Chevy buyer is probably not your market. And most of the time, modeling is works better for ruling out who isn't a buyer. You know, the guy who only bought one fishing lure isn't really a fishing buyer, even though they spent thousands and thousands of dollars, right? They bought one fishing lure, but they're a hunter or vice versa. And that's what we taught Cabela's. And so, uh, you know, for Steve and you, I would say when you're going to start thinking about your personas, which he's got a whole list of, of interesting ones, I would say... You should begin the process rather than trying to, you know, blue sky about who's going to who's going to buy your product. You're better off saying who who of all our products, of all our customers and all the products we sell, who is least likely to want this product. Start with that. And then let's be a little a little humble about our ability to target because sometimes we get surprised. Sometimes there's a market out there which is one of the fun things about our modeling process is that we've had a really good track record as far as finding surprises, which is in the book, finding markets that we didn't expect and finding those, you know, like, like Arm & Hammer, you know, sales were down and all of a sudden they kind of picked up what happened. People were using baking soda in their refrigerator to absorb odors. And Arm & Hammer is now thought of as a, de de as a deodorant company or a smell absorber company, not just a baking product company. Uh, there's, I could give you six, seven, eight, ten examples of products that had a surprise market that had they stuck to their pre preconceived personas, they would have missed it. So be a little generous about who you market to and use the modeling to rule out the non-market much more effective, much more, a much more consistently productive way to use a computer to rule people out. So I'm John Miglosh. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.